Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. Today, Dr. John Newfeld continues the first week of the five-week series on Romans, Heart of the Gospel. In today's message, Dr. Newfeld will be moving into Romans 1, verses 8 to 15, and talking about the critical marks of spiritual leadership. Now let's join Dr. Newfeld and open our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus. Thank you for the example that he is. Thank you for the atonement that he brought us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And thank you also for the apostles that you sent to teach us the good news so that we can take full advantage of all that Christ is. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's an amazing thing what leadership will do. I want you to imagine a soldier, perhaps in the First World War, the kind that would jump out of a trench and then run headlong into oncoming rifle fire of men who are hiding in a trench at the other side of a long field. I mean, that man would most likely meet death. I mean, have you ever wondered what motivates someone to do that? I mean, surely no one does that on their own. But an essential aspect of military leadership is to get people to do what they would never do on their own. Now, perhaps you haven't liked my example. You might say, is that the best example of leadership that you can think of? I mean, getting young men to run to their deaths, that's not exactly a positive image. I mean, not for most of us. But how about this as an image of leadership? Imagine a medical professional going to a country ravaged by Ebola. I mean, why would anyone put their life at risk by entering an area of the world that has the threat of contracting one of the most serious diseases known to man? Now, clearly, the form of leadership that urges people to do what is not in their own personal best interest is different for the doctor than for the soldier. I mean, doctors are far freer to make their own personal choices. Soldiers get orders. Doctors get invitations. And among people who are simply invited to follow, well, clearly, the mechanism of following leaders is very different. But the point remains the same. Leaders influence people no matter what the context, and they get people to do what they would not do on their own. That's why leadership and influence go hand in hand. Well, we're still in the introduction to Romans, and in this introduction, we get a glimpse of the Apostle Paul. We've noticed that he's an apostle, and as such, he's been given a unique authority over the church that no one else has. We would call that leadership. But just when you think that his leadership style must look more like a military man giving orders than a medical team leader making invitations, well, here he surprises us. And as I read and reread the section before us, that is Romans 1, 8 to 15, I couldn't help but think of the eight times throughout the New Testament in which Paul urged his leaders to imitate him. It's clear that Paul was a leader, but his leadership was one where his personal example got the greatest results. Now, as we read this text closely, we're going to find some of the principles for effective leadership. That is, what is it that makes Paul such a great leader? And in so doing, my prayer is that all of us who are mature would learn from his leadership style. That is, we're going to seek to imitate him. But in doing this, I run into a danger. There are those who hear this who are going to say, you know, I'm just not a leader. 
But if you think that, perhaps you're only thinking of formal leadership or authoritative leadership, like a political leader or a business or a corporate leader or like a coach in athletics or a a church leader or even a military leader. But if that's all you think of when you think about leadership, you misunderstand. Let me again define leadership. Leadership is influence. Not leadership is a person with a title or leadership is a person who has the power to make others do something they would never do on their own. In fact, the power to make others to do something is indeed one kind of leadership to be sure. I mean, for instance, your boss can make you do something you don't want and the power of his leadership comes from his paycheck. If he fires you, how are you going to take care of your own needs and the needs of your family? So you have to respect that. You can't just walk away from him unless you have another form of income. See, a dictator can make others do something they wouldn't normally do, and the power is in the strength of their might. It's in the power over life and death. But Christ's style of leadership, oh, that's different. Yes, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And yes, in the end, when he returns, every knee will bow to him, some to everlasting joy and others to everlasting contempt. For the day is going to come when he rules the nations with a rod of iron. So let's be sure when we think of Jesus, we remember that he is one who has genuine power. But now, during this dispensation, he has clothed himself in humility. Listen to what Jesus said about leadership in the present hour. And I'm reading from Matthew chapter 20. He says, you know that the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority over them and it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, Jesus adopted a very different approach to leadership than anyone had ever seen. He led by showing his deep care for the flock, by serving, by washing the disciples' feet, by laying down his life so that we can be forgiven and made whole. That kind of leadership has its own power and authority. The Apostle Paul learned his leadership style from Jesus. That's why he didn't just say, imitate me. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So he learned his leadership style from Jesus, and his example reminds us exactly the kind of leadership that Jesus gave. So let's read through Romans 1, 8 to 15, and let's get a glimpse of Paul the leader. Again, yes, I know, we're still dealing with the introduction to one of the most life-transforming books ever written, but it is the leadership style of the one who wrote this book that makes it so persuasive. Let's learn from him how we might influence others the way he did. I want to share from his life six marks of a spiritual leader. So we begin with Romans chapter 1, verse 8, and it reads, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So let's notice our first mark of spiritual leadership. Effective leaders, effective spiritual leaders, offer prayers of thankfulness for those whom they lead. And I want to contrast that first by giving some negative examples. In other words, some examples of what not to do if you're a leader. You know how easy it is when we think of other believers to begin by noticing their shortcomings. Yes, we've all been around people who criticize, they find fault, they point out weakness, and they withhold their praise of others. And they'll often say, well, uh, we don't want all those compliments to go to their heads, and we say stuff like that. 
Now, perhaps you've done that. You've withheld encouragement. And I must say, to my own shame, I know that there are times that I have, and it's not been my finest hour. Now, we all know that this negative spirit isn't just a problem among believers. And I've met lots of non-Christian employers and supervisors who tend to begin everything on a negative note. They complain that the people under them or beside them or over them are incompetent. There's always someone who bothers them, who isn't shaping up, who's lazy and unimaginative and and a waste of time. How many of you notice that criticism and constant criticism inspires no one? I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor and, and one of the young guys in my group was showing exceptional spiritual maturity. And I was delighted with him and he was devouring his Bible. He was becoming fervent in spirit. He was influencing others. He was beginning to share his faith in school. And, and sometime later I met his dad and I, I told his dad what a great son he had. And then after that, the dad spent the next half hour telling me of all his son's shortcomings. And this was done in the presence of his son. You know, I glanced over at that son, and his head was down in shame. You know, how easy it is to crush a spirit. Listen, here's what Paul knows for certain about the church in Rome. When Paul writes to the Philippians while in prison in Rome, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, he tells the Philippians that many of the brothers in Rome, when they saw Paul's confidence in Christ, even while imprisonment, awaiting possible execution— They were now bolder to speak the word without fear. You want to put that into the negative? Well, we can. Paul could have said these Christians in Rome are so easily intimidated. They're not bold in the face of opposition. Perhaps Paul could have begun this letter that way. Furthermore, in Philippians 1.15, Paul notices that there were some in the Roman church who preached Christ out of envy and rivalry. And by the way, that's not good either. And so since Paul is an apostle with the authority to speak on behalf of Christ, you might think he would start by correcting what he saw as insufficient immediately. But he doesn't. He's thankful for them. And that is effective leadership. If I could just build in everyone who's listening that thankfulness for those whom we lead is the beginning mark of every leader that influences others positively. You want to make a change in someone's life, start by telling them what you've seen in them that's delightful. When I think of leadership, I'm most compelled by those who model what they teach. Their lives are consistent and trustworthy. Paul was that kind of leader. His life of service to Jesus was central, and his attitudes and actions were a reflection of his teaching and a response to being a servant of Jesus and his love for others. After the break, Dr. Neufeld will continue sharing the six essential marks of a spiritual leader. During the month of February, we want to share Dr. Neufeld's series on the book of Philemon, An Alternative Lifestyle. This is our way of saying thanks for listening. This gift is just one of many free Bible teaching resources that are available, including our bi-monthly publication, Bible Matters, our email audio service, Audio Mail, and much more. To receive your gift of John's Philemon series or to sign up for any of these free teaching resources, call us right now at 1-800-663-2425 or you can sign up for our free subscriptions at backtothebible.ca. Now let's get back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. Now to be sure, there are moments when people need correction. You find a lot of examples of that in the Bible. 
And Paul, by the way, is altogether harsh when it comes to false teaching and false teachers. He has, for instance, no kind words for the Judaizers, for example. And when it comes to believers who are seeking to be faithful, however, there his tone changes immediately. Notice Paul's leadership. He is profoundly thankful for the Roman Christians, but saying that might not yet get at the most important thing. He is thankful to God through Jesus Christ for them. Paul believes that whatever is positive among God's people has already been accomplished by God through the agency of Jesus. And after all, if the book of Romans is anything, it's a book that makes much of the work of Jesus. And this is a book that magnifies or highlights grace. Paul is not saying, I'm so thankful for the effort you have made in improving your Christian lot. Rather, he says, I'm so thankful what an impact the grace of Jesus has made on you. I'm thankful not to you, but to Jesus who did this among you. And of course, he's not done yet. He gets specific. And Jesus has been so at work among you, he says, that your faith is being proclaimed in all the world, meaning that in the very heart of the Roman Empire, at the seat of Roman power, right there where everything was happening, that's where your faith is being proclaimed. Now, we're not told whether this is a statement of their boldness or about the holiness of their lives when compared to the pagan practices around them. But whatever the case, Paul notices it and he thanks God for it. Not to the Romans because the credit for what he witnesses goes to Christ. Christ did it in them. You know, noticing this kind of stuff is normal for Paul. He addresses everyone this way. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Or look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 to 4. There he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love every one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. See, in all his letters, with only the exception of the Galatian letter, Paul begins by expressing what he's thankful about. And the reason he doesn't do that in the Galatian letter is because the Galatians were in the process of abandoning their faith. And under such circumstances, there's no reason to be thankful at all. See, I want to make the point that gratitude to God for the progress of God's people is a mark of spiritual leadership. In fact, that's how all Christ-like leaders act. They notice what others do well, and they're genuinely grateful to God, knowing that it was God in Christ who produced this among people. Now, if you're going to be an effective leader, you have to get beyond yourself. You have to begin to notice the accomplishments and the gifts and the strengths and the the growth of others. Great leaders notice others. They watch how Christ impacts them. They watch how people respond to Christ. And when there's progress in their faith, they're grateful indeed. Instead of being threatened by others, they appreciate what God is doing in others. And they encourage them. And they thank God for his work in others. And they boast to others about how so-and-so is doing. See, that's leadership. Leadership begins with thankfulness for the grace of Christ they observe in others. By the way, moms and dads, if I were to ask your sons or your daughters who are in Christ, if I were to come to them and say, what have mom and dad noticed about the progress of your faith? What would they say? Would they say, well, dad told me the other day that he saw how Christ would change this area in my life. He saw how it was. 
Or would they say, well, you know, mom and dad only criticize me. See, that, my friends, is a test of spiritual leadership. Wow, we spent a long time on that verse. Um, Let's look at the second mark of spiritual leadership. I'm now reading from Romans chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. Here Paul writes, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. See, Paul uses a curious phrase in verse 9. Let's hear it again. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. So the idea is not that Paul is serving the gospel with his whole heart. Oh, I know he's doing that. But in fact, he's doing something else. He says he's serving God with his spirit. So what does that mean? See, he means that there is a service to God that comes from deep on the inside. In other words, there's a service to God that is hidden from everyone but God. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 2.11, Paul will say, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So, your spirit is the place of your deepest thoughts, but it's also the place where you commune with God. And it's here in Paul's spirit in what we might call the deepest part of his humanity, in the center of his personhood, in that area that is seen by God alone. It's right here where no one else can see that Paul is ceaselessly praying for the Roman believers. Paul thinks that this is at the heart of his ministry. So what makes for an effective leader? Well, first of all, thankfulness for the grace of God in the lives of other believers. But here's secondly, constant prayerfulness in a secret place. See, spirit-led leaders are repeatedly praying for others. Spirit-filled leaders simply believe that the most effective leadership that they can provide happens in prayer. But not just once, repeated, ongoing, continual, even habitual prayer for their followers when no one else is watching. See, notice also that there appears to be some kind of a prayer list here. I mean, Paul's praying about everything, he says. He wants to come to them, as we're going to see in the next part of verse 10, so he prays about that. And he's thankful for how their faith is being proclaimed, so he prays about that. He prays about everything. And I think it can be said that the greatest reason for failure in our leadership is our lack of attention to what happens in our spirits, in our inner prayer life. So many think that leadership is all about what happens on the outside. But in fact, great leadership is what happens on the inside. You know, if leadership is influence, the greatest leadership we can exert to someone is to go to God and ask him to influence their lives. And Paul modeled that. For the Ephesians, he prays that they would be able to know the love of Christ experientially, he says. For the Philippians, he prays that they might be able to tell the difference between what is merely good and what is excellent. And for the Colossians, he prays that they might walk worthy of the Lord. Do you notice with each prayer, there's something specific. Spiritual leadership is prayer leadership that knows what specific things to pray for in others. Now, why have we spent so much time belaboring this? You might say, yes, yes, but this is still not the central message of Romans. We haven't got to the good parts yet about, you know, God's wrath and universal human sinfulness and the nature of the cross and the necessary response that we should have in faith. Yes, yes, we're going to get to that in due season. But there's a reason the letter reads as it does. Before Paul condemns the sins of the whole world, he wants us to see who he is. No, he's not your 
prototypical hellfire preacher breathing out threats with a sense of glee in his heart. He's rather a hellfire preacher who deeply loves, who can only speak about sin when there's a tear in his eye and when there's a deep aching in his heart. See, that's the kind of Christian leadership. And I invite you to join and become that kind of a leader who imitates Paul, who ultimately imitates Christ. I want us to see that whenever we're leading someone and whenever we have to point out the hard things that are going on in their lives that need correction, that the people who hear that can see within us that we have this undying love for them, the kind of love that that Christ has for us. See, I think that's what begins to make effective leaders. And whenever you find leaders like that, they're influencing people to do things they would never do on their own. Well, John, it's been an incredible week, and we've dug deep into some of the things of the Book of Romans. Uh, But uh, perhaps if I was to ask you, what are the essential things you've spoken about that people should remember, the go-away, the takeaways, I guess? I think the first takeaway is that it's all about Jesus. You know, it's amazing how often we'll talk about everything else. We'll talk about theological issues, and, you know, we'll talk about our church and things we don't like, but we... It's amazing how absent Jesus is in our conversation. So I think I'd start there. Uh, But I think also another takeaway, at least as I see it, is that we can really trust this authoritative word that we have from God, that we have a Bible that we can trust, and uh, it provides for us an excellent roadmap to heaven, and uh, we can count on it at every place where we encounter its truth. You know, you know many Christian leaders, it's a challenging responsibility to lead any church or mission organization or anything like that. And we talked about leadership a lot today and the challenges and the characteristics of leadership. What would you like to say to encourage leaders today? Well, I think we've all failed, and I think it's important for us not to look at those moments of failure and uh, kind of think of our own leadership as a failure because we have failed in the past. Uh, If we take anything from the encouragement of Paul, if Paul were to look at our leadership style, and I think he'd start by saying, you know what, here's what you've done well. And he'd point that out and he'd say, this is why I'm encouraged by you and this is why I'm praying for you. And maybe we should see behind that, that's what Christ is doing when he relates to us. So I think what I'd want to say is, try not to be too hard on yourself. Uh, try Try to be encouraged, God is at work in you. Thanks, Dr. Newfeld, And we look so forward to continuing our, our series on the Book of Romans this coming week. The first week of Dr. Newfeld's series on Romans, the heart of the gospel, has been jam-packed with much to learn and apply in our daily lives. Today, we learned that two essentials of effective Christian leadership are giving thanks for those God has provided to serve with us and ensuring we surround them with prayer and the outpouring of the love of Christ. Next week, Dr. Neufeld continues in Romans and the next essentials of spiritual leadership. Be encouraged and challenged by what God's Word is teaching you as we go through Romans together. And join us next week for more of Back to the Bible Canada. I hope you've been enjoying Dr. Neufeld's series on Romans, The Heart of the Gospel. 
If you're unable to listen every day or want to listen to a message again, consider signing up for our audio mail program, or you can always listen online at backtothebible.ca. I also wanted to mention again our very special announcement regarding our trip to Israel, or what we're calling the Israel Experience, this October 30th to November 9th, with Dr. Newfeld and many other special guests. You can get all the details by visiting backtothebible.ca or calling us at 1-800-663-2425 today. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.